My name is Scott Challoner and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a crisp autumn day here in the capital and I'm delighted to say that joining me on today's programme is Victor Chestnut, a sixth generation livestock farmer and president of the Ulster Farmers Union, the largest democratic voluntary organisation representing farmers and growers in Northern Ireland. Uh, Victor, welcome to the show and thank you ever so much for your time today in joining us. Thank you very much, Scott. Delighted to be with you. Delighted to have you with us as well, Victor. Now, I think it's fair to say that over the last couple of years, um, obviously the phenomenon of the COVID-19 pandemic and also the enactment of Brexit have really combined to make it a difficult time for farmers in Northern Ireland. So just to sort of start with, what are some of the major operational challenges that you've sort of seen during this time? Yes, well, I'll start first with COVID. And back when COVID broke, uh, our industry took a real pattern. Our, our milk price uh, dropped, our beef price, and indeed our sheep price dropped. Um, we also had no trade for wool. Uh, our pigs had, had issues with COVID in a factory. So we had real issues. Our agriculture minister applied uh, to a pot of funding, and we got $25 million, And we worked very closely with government to spread that out. Uh, across our industries, and we're very grateful for that support, which uh, helps us out with some of the losses we occurred on farm. Then we move on uh, to uh, Brexit. Yeah, Brexit broke, and and, and, uh, we are in this unique place in Northern Ireland where we're we're still part of the UK, but we have to farm under EU rules, which we have no control or no way of influencing. Um, we were sold the Northern Pro- Protocol, uh, Northern Ireland Protocol, as being in the best of both worlds. Um, yes, in certain circumstances that has proven to be true, but a whole lot of other circumstances we're left in no man's land. I- I'll explain that a little bit and take a couple of examples. For instance, if we were to go over to the UK mainland to sell our pedigree bulls, which some of our producers did, uh, those we if, if for some reason we didn't sell it six months before, before we can return, seed potatoes can't come in from Scotland. Uh, we've a much reduced variety left in our cereals because only big batches make it eligible to cut to come. Uh, and some of our animal medicines and our plant uh, protection products, neither the EU regulation numbers cover us, nor does the UK. We're too small a region to get those authorizations for ourselves. That's just a flavor of two or three of the myriad of many problems that are coming up with the Northern Ireland Protocol. We have been lobbying to try to get a resolution to these, but things are going very slowly. We are concerned for the future. Yes, uh, 40%, the food supply chain on the island of Ireland is totally integrated. Uh, for instance, about 30, 40% of our Milk goes south uh, for further processing. Some of that comes back into the UK. And yes, that is continuing to flow. Having said that, we now find ourselves with our product having a mixed origin label rather than being uh, a, a label put on produced in the, under EU rules. So we are finding many difficulties and they're cropping up from day to day. We do need political will to change these things. Um, the talking continues. We are quite hopeful of a solution. 
But if that solution if, if that solution doesn't occur, we could be left in a very poor place in Northern Ireland. Mm. And obviously talks are ongoing between the UK and the EU on the Northern Ireland Protocol as we speak. Um, what sort of resolution are sort of farmers within Northern Ireland hoping for to sort of come out of the, those talks, if any? Yes, well, we're, we're hoping for uh, lasting, durable solutions. Uh, you know, we're hoping for that best of both worlds. Yes, it's a tall ask, but we are a unique place. And, and if we don't want a border in the middle of Ireland, mm. uh, there'll have to be a bit of give from each side. Uh, and uh, we are hoping for to be left in that sweet spot. But at the minute, we're, in many cases, we're left no man's land. It is difficult, isn't it? And something else that also is inevitably going to cause difficulties within the farming sector as well is the um, fallout of the climate debate. Of course, COP26 um, happened in the UK very, very recently. There's been a huge sort of you know, motivation and drive toward cutting carbon emissions in the agriculture sector. And there are a couple of bills going through the storm and some assembly at the moment um, about that very issue. So what sort of the... Um, the situation um, with regards to that from your point of view at the moment, Victor? Yes, well, we do think that farming is one of the only industries that can work on both sides of this equation. Uh, we do have emissions from our livestock, but we can't take it straight. We in Northern Ireland here are a very small region. We're half the size of County Yorkshire. Mm. We have uh, 24,000 farmers, many of them very small and part-time. Basically, roughly around the half of that are full-time farmers. It's a family farm situation, so our farms are much smaller than your farms in the UK mainland. Having said that, we're very proud of the fact that we produce enough food to feed 10 million consumers, even though we've just 1.6 million consumers in Northern Ireland. Uh, the Climate Change Committee and their recommendations took this into uh, effect, and they said Northern Ireland just had to reach 82% by 2050, mm. um, so that the whole of UK can become net zero. And and that is what one of the, the DERA bill or, or, or the, the Edwin Puts bill is based on. However, the Green Party introduced another bill where they said Northern Ireland should be at net zero by 2045. Both these bills are going to be extremely challenging uh, for agriculture. Um, uh, the Green Party's bill is... I can put it no other way than wipeout. We commissioned KPMG to do a report, and they come back with an 86% reduction in livestock in Northern Ireland. That just simply cannot happen. Mm. Unfortunately, it's still on the table uh, in our assembly. It's still going ahead, so we're doing uh, huge work with our MLAs trying to explain to them what this bill would mean in reality for rural Northern Ireland. It would be a complete wipeout. Um, the other bill will be extremely challenging too but we uh, all realise we need to play our part uh, in this climate change uh, and, and getting the UK to net zero and we're, we're up for that game we're not we're not climate deniers and we're not saying that we don't need uh, to move but what we're saying is we can work on both sides of the equation we need the sequestration that happens on our farms by our small fields with hedgerows and our trees and our, our the grass the the carbon that our grasslands take was straight to be credited to us as an agricultural industry and not credited to society. So a huge body of work going on there. 
Yeah, certainly seems the uh, the case. And it's about sort of finding a solution there that's sort of scalable, isn't it? I mean, you can't just simply decimate agriculture overnight just to sort of set yourself on the way to the carbon goals because it doesn't just affect businesses, but it also affects that food supply chain that you've talked about as well. Yes, we have 113,000 uh, agri-food workers in, 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 in Northern Ireland, which is a, a big proportion, and, and uh, we're a five billion industry, so you just can't wait that out. Having said that, we're up for that challenge, and, and, and we will play our part in, in, in reducing our emissions. Um, so going forward, as I say, huge work, and let's hope some common sense co- comes in there. Uh, also, I feel that we're maybe getting too focused on, on, on one, a- one area of the environmental issue and carbon. We need to also focus on biodiversity in many places in Northern Ireland uh, because of the, the topography of our land and our climate. It only really suits growing grass and, and animals turn that grass into a protein that humankind uh, can make benefit of. And for the biodiversity of these regions, we do need them graced with, with livestock. So it, it's a balance the whole way through. It is, and obviously with Northern Ireland being one of the least wooded areas in Europe as well, I suppose planting trees is going to be another big part of that strategy as well. And obviously the idea is to not sort of siphon off so much land currently being used for agriculture in order to do that. Yes, uh, because of our family farm structure and the small size of our farms, it's very difficult to plant huge amounts of land. But I think there's things that we as farmers can do on on that field. For instance, we have a tendency to keep our farms very tidy and neat and our hedges very tidy and neat. We could let them get higher. We could let them get wider. That could double the sequestration of carbon in those hedges. And indeed, any fields without a hedgerow around them, plant that hedgerow. There is shelter built, corners of fields, unproductive land that we could plant. But uh, just to plant a whole pair in Northern Ireland is, is, is not the answer because that food is needed in a, in a world with a growing population that really needs Exactly right. And so in an ideal world then, just before we wrap up, uh, Victor, um, as we enter sort of the next 12 months and hopefully we're able to sort of leave the immediate challenge of the COVID pandemic behind, obviously with the variable of the Omicron variant still very much in the offing, um, what ideally would you sort of like to see from an agriculture point of view by this time in 2022 with these bills still very much sort of sat in storm and floating around? Yes, well, we're going to have to uh, uh, arrive at, to, at some spot. We need a, a bill that's workable that we can all deliver, that we can deliver wholesome local, uh, you know, food along with looking after our environment in a better way. And we as farmers are up for that challenge. I think there there may possibly be new technology come in, new feed additives and stuff that we can reduce methane, for instance, that our that our livestock produce. So mm-hmm. we're on a journey, and let's get on that journey and go step by step. Um, we're also at a very critical point in Northern Ireland where we are on the cusp just of designing a new agriculture policy for the future. Mm. It will be environmentally focused, but uh, uh, we still can have things in there like efficiency payments to help farmers drive that efficiency of their livestock, which in turn drives down the carbon intensity of every kilo of beef or, 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 or litre of milk. Uh, Western Europe is at 52% of the world average. So what we do not want to do as a society in the UK is to offshore our emissions or cause the common terminology used as carbon leakage, i.e. if we have to import it from somewhere else in the world uh, and only offshore our emissions, that's not helping the problem. Mm. Global warming is named global warming for a, for a, for a reason. The, the word global in there 
means that we need to tackle the whole, the whole thing, not just offshore or emissions. Um, also in Northern Ireland, in the next 12 months, uh, we've had a, a, a TB problem here, mm. uh, which has been going on for 50 years and, and more, and uh, not really getting any better. So we need to tackle that, and we really need to tackle the reservoir of TB wherever it's found in the environment. And, and unfortunately, that will that will mean that there will have to be a, a, a wildlife intervention, and uh, that can have its benefits for some other wildlife. Uh, the badger is a protected species; it's one of the best models of, uh, or methods of hosts for spreading TB. Um, but it's also a, a, an animal that's protected but not endangered, and it is uh, reducing the number of brown hares, of hedgehogs, ground nesting birds, and bumblebees, and and that. So, uh, reducing the numbers of them in Northern Ireland will not only help the the, the TB problem, but it will help other other uh, other biodiversity on our farms. So it's it's not all negative. It, 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 it's a pity that we have to tackle them, but to get rid of that disease, there's no other option. So uh, plenty of big issues going forward in the next 12 months to deal with. Yeah, plenty there. And um, I suppose that one of the key things into sort of facilitating the transition properly is to help farmers make that transition over to sort of greener ways of operating rather than simply sort of stripping them of everything and penalising them. Yes, yes. It needs to come from the bottom up and... Uh, we have a role as, as farmers and leaders in the in, in the farm community to do that and to deliver those messages and to help take take people on that journey. I'm very keen that everybody needs to get on that ladder of, of, of uh, environmental uh, actions being higher on the farm on their farm businesses than it was in the past. Everybody needs to get on that ladder and start going up that ladder. But it's like climbing a ladder. You don't arrive at the top. You just go step by step by step. And the key is getting everybody on the ladder and getting everybody moving on the ladder. Mm. That's exactly right. And hopefully we see some real movement positively in that direction over the course of the year, the next 12 months and beyond. Um, Victor, I've got to say thank you ever so much for joining us on the uh, the programme. It's been most insightful having you join us to talk about the state of agriculture in Northern Ireland at the moment. And uh, do take care and stay safe with all still going on. And I wish you the best of luck, hopefully, in sort of enacting exactly the aims that you've talked about today. Thank you very much, Scott. It's a pleasure to be on your programme. And to every single one of our listeners tuning in today as well, if you feel that you have your own story to share with us here at the Leaders Council, then by all means do apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply, and it could well be you that we're speaking to next. I hope that all of you enjoyed the interview with Victor Chestnut, president of the Ulster Farmers Union. And until we're back with our whole new show next time, please everybody take care and goodbye. I will see you again very soon.